Well, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to Proverbs chapter 14. And then also Psalm 33 and verse 12. Proverbs 14, verse 34. Psalms chapter 33 and verse 12. Proverbs 14, verse 34 says this, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Psalm 33, verse 12 Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Your Thursday, we will celebrate as a nation our anniversary, our Declaration of Independence. And I titled the message this morning, An Exceptional Nation. What makes our nation different than any other nation in the world? And that's the question I want to try and answer for you this morning. Let's pray and then we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to live in a land where we have liberty, where we're free to worship you according to the dictates of our conscience. Thank you, Father, how you preserved our land Father, I pray as we look into the Word of God today and as we look at history, I pray if we understand that it was you that brought about the liberties that we have through your people. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to realize that as your people, we need to be faithful. We need to honor you. To seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that your blessing may continue upon our nation until our Lord's return. So just encourage us and challenge us. Thank you for your blessings, your manifold blessings you bestowed upon us. And help us as we look into the word of God today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, why is our nation blessed with the most liberty of all nations of the world? Why in USA do we have the freedom to practice any religion we choose? Any. Why in the USA, why is the USA the most prosperous nation on earth? The USA Today, according to USA Today, North America, what North America has, is home to less than 5% of the global population, and yet accounts for about one-fourth of the global economic output. Unquote. That's the USA Today. We had the wealthiest middle class for years was in the United States until around 2009-2010, it began to decline and was passed by Canada in 2015. I don't think that's a coincidence, look who was president during those years. 
uh, the USA gives monetary gifts to other nations. Foreign aid is 30 to 40 billion dollars a year. Why are we the most powerful nation on earth? You know, we are the glory and envy of the nations. People want to come here. But where and how did America become a land of the free? Was it always this way? You know, many would say, yes, it's, yeah, it's always been this way in America. But that is not true. That is not the truth. History has been rewritten. We have been lied to. It was not always this way. You know, when I, I went through public school, like probably many of you, and that's what I thought. I thought this was the way it always was. However, when the Puritans landed in Massachusetts, seeking religious freedom from the Church of England, they set up a church just like the church they left in England. Freedom for themselves, but no one else. Puritans and John Winthrop, it must be said, as this article I clipped off the line this morning, it says, quote, it must be said that religious groups such as Puritans looking to escape from religious persecution in their home country arrived in the colonies and promptly established their own form of religious persecution. There was no religious freedom in the areas inhabited by the Puritans as they did not tolerate any other form of religion. Their idea of religious freedom was restricted only to the Puritan religion. John Winthrop a powerful Puritan leader was the first governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. His Puritan religious group believed that they would establish a pure church in New England that would offer a model for all churches. The Congregational Church eventually grew out of the Puritan church and was formally established in the colonial New England colonies, except for Rhode Island. And Rhode Island was, of course, where there was freedom. In Virginia, there was a state church, Episcopal. In North Carolina, there was a state church, the Anglican. And others were persecuted. The greatest number of whom were Baptists. So again, I ask, what was the cause, or how did we get a nation such as ours? What cause, what was the cause of America being an exceptional nation, and, and you can discuss it all, more, all, all day if you want to, but, there, but if you examine and compare it with the nations of the world, America is an exceptional nation. Now, I want, you, I want, I want, to, I want to notice three things this morning. First of all, and the, the cause of this, or the background of this, or, or the reason why America is an exceptional nation. First of all, it's the spiritual influence of righteous men and women, particularly the Baptists. And I said Baptists, not Protestants. Protestantism is an offshoot of Catholicism. Catholicism is an enemy of liberty. Catholicism, prior to years, has coerced. It has always ruled with the state. It has coerced or forced people to worship according to their dictates. Protestantism did the same thing. 
Luther and Zwingli and all the Protestants of, of Germany and, and Italy and France all persecuted those who disagreed with them. But the ones who, who, who were behind the liberties that we have in America were, by and large, the Baptists. Now, I'll give you a little background. We're going to look at a lot of history this morning. And, you know, the, the great influences that uh, formed our nation kind of started with the Great Awakening of the 1730 to 1740. And George Whitfield was most prominent in it. And he preached with great effect. Now, he was an Anglican, Church of England. Uh, he had Church of England background. Although he was disenfranchised uh, from the church because of his methods, However, he maintained a lot of their theology, including sprinkling, uh, baptism by sprinkling. But what happened after the Great Awakening, it's what happened after the Great Awakening that had the greatest impact in the future of the American colonies. Many of Whitfield's converts in studying the Bible submitted to and joined Baptist churches. In fact, Whitfield is quoted as saying, quote, my Many of my chickens have become ducks, unquote. What he's referring to is many of his converts went and joined Baptist churches. They submitted to water baptism by burial or immersion, and they joined Baptist churches. The most notable of these was a man by the name of Shubal Stearns. After his conversion, as a result of Whitfield in 1746, he became a pastor of what's called a New Light Church, or Congregational Puritan Church. But after, after, uh, after being challenged by a Baptist pastor named Wade Palmer to study baptism from the scriptures, he was baptized and ordained by Palmer in 1751 in Connecticut. In 1754, he left New England with a dozen others, headed south, and settled in Sandy Creek, an hour and a half or so from here, west of here, North Carolina. And started a church there with 16, and it grew to over 600 in two years. Men were saved, baptized, trained, and sent out. Daniel and Abraham Marshall, Samuel Harris, Tidens Lane, and others. They, went into, they spread all over North Carolina, up into Virginia, over into Tennessee, south of South Carolina, south into Georgia. They went everywhere, preaching the gospel, establishing churches. In his, in his book, American Foundations, Ted Alexander in page 29 said this concerning them. Within 17 years from the beginning of this move of God, the separate Baptists had established 42 churches in which 125 preachers were raised up. Estimates vary as to the effects of this revival had over a generation which it started. However, it is believed that even a conservative estimate would indicate that by 1800, the separate Baptists had birthed over 1,000 churches in America. And of course... This, you know, Samuel Harris, known to birth 60 churches alone in Virginia. Uh, Daniel Marsha, was Stern's brother-in-law, planted church, dozens of churches in Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina, and also started the first church, Baptist church in Georgia. Tidens Lane started the first Baptist church in Tennessee. 
And, of course, Tennessee would then be flooded with Baptists at the point that Knoxville became known as the, quote, Baptist town. So everywhere they went. And, of course, what the, ref- the results of this revival was what we know today we call the Bible Belt. And, you know, this, this, this great work of God among the Baptists had great effect in America. In fact, it is said that 40% of Baptists in the world live in America. Uh, Dr. D. James Kennedy uh, said this, that a reading over the Constitution of all our 50 states, I discovered something which some of you may not know. There is in all 50, without exception, an appeal or a prayer to the Almighty God of the universe. Through all 50 state constitutions, without exception, this runs, there runs this same appeal in reference to God, who is the creator of our liberties and the preserver of our freedoms. You see, Bible-believing Baptists had and still, effect, still have an effect on this nation. You see, we are, we are the salt and light of the earth. In Matthew 5, in verse 13 through 16, the Bible says this, Ye are the salt of the earth, but the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, true Baptist churches or Bible-believing churches are a beacon of hope in a wicked and chaotic world. They are a defense, the defense against evil in the world. They, are, they have the message of grace and the peace of God, of individual choice and individual responsibility. And these things were taught and promoted by the Baptists. They taught freedom of conscience. And so we see the spiritual influence of righteous men and women. Secondly, the USA, United States of America's founding principles, again, were righteous. You know, Proverbs 14.34 says, again, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. You know, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them to another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them the separation. With, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, 
that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now we all know that those are words from the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. It speaks of happiness, you know, liber- individual liberty. That means that each person is born with freedom from arbitrary or unjustified restraint. It speaks of private property. Individuals have the right to obtain and control possessions as well as the fruits of their own labor. And all men are created equal. There is no natural class of rulers among people, and everyone is born with the same unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, those words were really foreign to the world prior to this. The world knew what the world knew was kings and servants. This is something new. Many consider the Declaration of Independence to be the philosophical foundation of American freedom. They have called it a beacon of hope for people everywhere. But I have a question for you. What are the precedents for this monumental document that has had such an impact in our world? What are the origin of these great truths? Well, they are found in a charter granted to the first free colony in the American colonies. And that colony, of course, was Rhode Island. That charter was written and granted to a Baptist pastor of the first Baptist church in America, in Newport, Rhode Island. That man's name was John Clark. Page 48 of this book, American Foundations, Ted Alexander says this, quote, after 12 young years and by some strange miracle, the king granted Clark the stamp of approval, and Rhode Island was established upon the principles of a charter handwritten by the Baptist preacher. And he goes on. It says, this ancient document, beautifully penned on fine parchment, should be studied, modeled, and appreciated by individuals and governments throughout the world. Carved into the marble above the south entrance of the Providence State House are the following words taken from the charter itself. Quote, to hold forth a lively experiment that a most flourishing civil state may stand and best be maintained with full liberty in religious concernments. You see, John Clark understood, uh, he understood the purpose of government and the need to have freedom of conscience to worship God. He understood that. Uh, He goes on and says in page 49, this one document immediately established Rhode Island as the freest city-state in the known world. It granted to its citizens full religious liberty. Finally, liberty had started to break through the American colonies, and the Baptists were not just leading the charge. They were the charge. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is said to have given John Clark the credit for obtaining this marketable charter and to have named it as one of the sources from which he derived the principles 
of the Declaration of Independence. In addition, since this document, above all others, held the most forceful stand for individualistic religious liberty of any other early colonial document, it was the one perfect example to the founding fathers that a religious liberty amendment to the U.S. Constitution was not only plausible, but imperative. The Charter was proven to have stood the test of time as morally right and beneficial in every way. It honored the autonomy of the individual while knitting together a corporate people in a free and prosperous governmental arrangement. Unquote. You see, this idea of liberty of conscience didn't come from the Catholic Church. It didn't come from the Protestants. It didn't come from the Congregationists or the Anglicans or the Episcopalians. It came from the Baptists. And the influence of Baptists during and following the war for independence in our nation are monumental. They had become the largest religious body of the day, though still persecuted. In 17, between 1770 and 1776, at least 45 Baptist pastors were in jail for preaching the gospel in Virginia alone. In North Carolina, most of you are familiar with the Regulators and the Battle of Alamance. Many Baptists were hung, shot by Governor Tryon. But through their suffering and their persecution, they began through the mind and pen of one in particular, outstanding leader, John Leland, they began to petition the Virginia legislature. And again, on page 62, and I'm, going to read, I'm reading a lot from this book. This is, this is a book that every Baptist ought to read. It says this, Leland would become a key author along with Baptist minister Reuben Ford and many petitions the Baptists circulate. These petitions called for complete religious liberty were submitted to the Virginia legislature on many occasions. One of these petitions was so large and held so many signatures that it had to be delivered in a wheelbarrow. The results of these petitions, coupled with the Baptist's willingness to sit in prison for conscience sake, were many. Butterfield explains the Baptists had resorted to political action on their own behalf Soon after they gained enough strength to become organized, he continued by saying the political drift of the times greatly favored the dissenters, that was the Baptists, in Virginia, Mason, Jefferson, and Madison were determined to do something about it. And the first reward of the political action of the Baptists in the form of Declaration of Rights is 1776. And this prefix to the Virginia Constitution contained the following words, all men should enjoy the full toleration in the exercise of religion according to the dictates of the states. And James Madison petition successfully had these words changed to read, are equally entitled to the free exercise of religion. And, of course, this slight change was of importance uh, since toleration implies a favor grant, whereas free exercise recognizes existing inalienable rights. Uh, and so, you know, this battle continued. And uh, it continued up until after the Revolutionary War, you know, as they continued to petition the state and then the federal government, 
you know, over the next 10 years from 17, what was it, 1774, I think it was, over the next 10 years, uh, they continued to petition for complete separation of church and states. They gained another victory in 1779 when the establishment, the ties to the establishment church were abolished. Of course, that you know, talks about the state church. They had to give their ties to the state church. Uh, and when the Constitution was written, submitted to the states for consideration, John Leland, again, noticed a key provision was excluded. The provision he was looking for was a statement that would ingrain the principles of religious liberty and separation of church and state onto the mantle of the new nation. The Constitution, however, only contained one reference to religion, and that being the prohibition of religious tests as qualification for federal offices. Although Article 4 is great inclusion, it wasn't enough for Mr. Leland. The Baptist General Committee agreed with Leland that the Constitution was not sufficient without a declaration of full religious liberty. And so, again, they petition, and they, uh, he meets with, John Leland met with James Madison and secured from James Madison a promise to push for a Bill of Rights. You know what the first Bill of Rights is? Government shall establish no law. of any religion, or prohibit the free exercise thereof. My friends, that law is the result of Baptist petitions. You see, it was the Baptists who understood religious liberty. And in tying it all together... Brother Alexander said this, as we think about this religious liberty, in page 72 he says this, quote, When one considers the Portsmouth Compact, the Rhode Island Charter of 1663, the Rhode Island Model, the willingness of at least 45 Baptist preachers to sit in prison as they demanded religious liberty, and the petitions, the council leadership, and the efforts of John Leland and many others, it becomes as crystal clear, clear as crystal, without the Baptist, America may not have the religious liberty that every American citizen enjoys to this very day. Through the series of victories that the Virginia Baptists had won in their colonial government were the precursor to the victory the Baptists later won for the other 12 colonies. If the reader appreciates his religious liberty, he is hereby encouraged to thank God for the colonial Baptists. See, the Baptists understood the Ten Commandments properly. Which are the basis for all law. The Ten Commandments can be divided into two tables. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God and our matters of conscience. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not make any of any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And, and, and so on. They all have to do with our relationship with God. And the state churches tried to force those on every man. Those are matters of conscience. The second table, commandments 5 through 10, have to do with our relationship with our fellow man. And even the Lord Jesus recognized that. In Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, Jesus said this, 
Master, which is, and somebody he was asked, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. That is the first table. has to do with loving God. That's matters of conscience. You cannot coerce a man's conscience. It has to be of individual choice. You know, persuaded against your will is unpersuaded still. But the second table, and he said, then he said, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the second table. And you see, our relationship with God enables us to love our neighbor like ourselves. And it's from the second table that we establish laws concerning our relationships with each other. You know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. It protects us. Those are laws that government should endure, should enforce. And see, Baptists understood these principles. Where the state churches tried to force their religions upon the minds of men. And persecuted those who would not yield. So when you get up on Sunday morning and you decide where you want to go to church or whether you want to go to church or will go to church, you know who you have to thank for that? The Baptists. Because if you lived in colonial America prior to the 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 passing of the bill of rights the state church would fine you if you didn't show up a certain number of sundays they would also force you to pay a tithe to support their preacher whether you wanted to or not that was colonial america there, and what I'm saying to you, there was, not relig- there was not liberty in colonial America like we know today. It wasn't always this way. I want you to know the third thing. Not only were, did we see the spiritual influence of the righteous Baptists, but the founding principles of our government were Baptist principles, taught, you know, Bible principles. But the third thing we see is that the Baptists were willing to suffer for the truth. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And verse 18. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. It says, And they called them, and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And then chapter 5, and verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And then go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. 
and verse 1, 1 Peter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Forasmuch then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. You know, one of the things that is true of Baptists historically is they have never really regarded military, the military profession with favor. In other words, that wasn't something they sought. They, had a, they understood they had a greater and higher calling, and that was preaching the gospel. However... However, in times of tyranny, they would take up arms and fight. And our Baptist forefathers were very actively involved in the war for independence. Uh, William Cathcart, who's a, a historian, said this concerning them: quote, "Baptists have never been ardent friends of, have ever been ardent friends of civil and religious liberty." Their history in the New World overflows with testimonies of this character. They have never regarded the military profession with much favor, and as a rule, they have only resorted to arms in great emergencies when the worst evils threatened an entire people. So that we must not look to them, uh, not look for them among the principal commanders of the Revolution. The leading men of Massachusetts and Virginia and the two great arms of the Revolution were hostile to Baptists and had let, lent their aid to laws which grievously persecuted them right down to the commencement of the great struggle. You know, the, the people in power persecuted the Baptists right down until the Revolutionary War. And so they were not really, the Baptists weren't really active in, in getting involved at first. Uh, but... Uh, and it is not to be expected that they would place members of the sect everywhere spoken against, that was the Baptists, in prominent military positions. Notwithstanding these considerations, our brethren acted glorious in part in our conflict which secured our liberties and which set the world an example which so many nations have already followed. Uh, so they, and, and they set the example in resisting the tyranny of, of England in the colonies. Now, let me, let, me get, let me illustrate that for you. Uh, in North Carolina, the Townsend Act, duties were placed upon important wine, paper, and lead. You know, this was, of course, all over colonial. In North Carolina, the Speaker of the House, John Harvey, said, free men cannot legally be taxed by themselves or the representatives. And, of course, they petitioned, and they uh, adopted resolutions, and the governor dissolved the whole assembly like he did in Virginia later on. Uh, and, and in North Carolina, uh, they, uh, 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 the Baptists, many of whom were part of the Sandy Creek, Association, Sandy Creek Association, started the organization called the Regulators, who tried to regulate the government's in, in, encroachment upon them and the governor tried to pass the marriage act that put Baptists and other dissenters on the wrong side of the law if they performed weddings. So, you know, their weddings were not recognized. And Tryon called the Baptists enemy society and a scandal to common sense. And as a result of the mistreatment and other dissenting groups, lack of representation, the Baptists would take, make history by lighting a pre-revolutionary war liberty movement. These liberty-loving 
lovers would become known as the regulation. The regulators were largely Baptist groups that stepped to the forefront in imposing Governor Trine and his corrupt and oppressive government. Benjamin Merrill was a key leader of this movement, and he was a member of the Jersey Settlement Baptist Church. And, of course, Tryon sent an army over to Alamance, and, of course, we know, familiar with what's called the Battle of Alamance. Really, the, the regulators weren't there to go to war. They were there to address their grievances. But Tryon went for war. And, of course, he decimated them. He scattered the Sandy Creek Church. Only less than 20 members were left. It's, it, they, they say that probably 1,500 families left North Carolina after that. Many of them fled over into Tennessee. And, but, uh, you know, really, that set the stage for what followed uh, in the Revolutionary War. Uh, William Cathcart again says this. Uh, Cathcart teaches that the non-Baptist colonies actually learned how to resist tyranny and stand for liberty from, from the often persecuted Baptists. The principles that the whole world embrace, would embrace and fight for were simply the principles the Baptists for decades had fought for by themselves. Consider the following points as evidence of this idea. First, Baptists demanded liberty long before the Revolution. They were fined, beaten, banished, disfranchised repeatedly by oppressive colonial governments and yet protested and endured without wavering. Secondly, Baptists supported the Continental Congress, the first Continental Congress assembled on September 5, 1774. The Baptists were among the earliest religions to support it. The New England Baptists of the Warren Association, eight days after the origination of the Continental Congress, declared it the Supreme Court of the American colonies and said they were, were, were willing to unite with our dear countrymen to preserve every prudent measure for relief. The Philadelphia Baptist Association supported the Continental Congress as well. Third, the Baptists took their place on the battlefields. Virginia historian Howison stated, no class of people of America were more devoted advocates of the principles of revolution, none were more willing to give their money, goods to their country, none more prompt to march to the field of battle, and none more heroic in actual conflict than the Baptists of the Virginia. There were many Baptist chaplains, preachers from numerous locations, were zealous in their desire to serve as chaplains. John Ganneau, Hezekiah Smith, Charles Thompson, to name a few, served faithfully in this capacity. George Washington once stated, quote, Baptist chaplains were among the most prominent and useful in the army, unquote. Uh, and then, not last but least, the forgotten battle of the Battle of Kings Mountain. You know, Kings Mountain was a battle uh, that is often overlooked where uh, Patrick Ferguson uh, you know, camped out in Kings Mountain and feeling the threat, the men from Tennessee came back over the mountain, marched 11 days, joined with some men in Virginia, many of whom were Baptists, tied and slain, and all his family. There were eight of them. There's a list. Anyway, and they defeated uh, Ferguson on Kings Mountain. And Thomas Jefferson said this about Kings Mountain. He said, I remember well the deep and grateful impression made in the minds of everyone. By that memorable victory, it was the joyful annunciation of that turn of the tide of success which terminated the Revolutionary War with the seal of our independence. You see... 
these men, our Baptist forefathers, were willing to suffer for the truth. They were willing to fight when they needed to. They were willing to fight against tyranny. They were willing to stand for the truth. They were willing to give their lives for the sake of liberty and giving out the gospel. You see, they had yielded to God. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So again, I asked you, what is the secret to America's greatness and exceptionalism? It was the proliferation of the spreading of the gospel by our Baptist forefathers. They, like the first church, went everywhere. Though they were persecuted, they went everywhere, preaching the gospel, planting churches. They could not be silenced. You see, the liberty of the gospel brings freedom to live, to work, to to prosper, to keep private property. All those things are fruits of the gospel. The true, unadulterated gospel. Yet the song we sang this morning, the first line says, My country tis, what's the next two words? Of thee. Do you ever think about that? My country is of thee. You see, we are an exceptional nation because God's favor was upon us. It's not because we are a better people but it's because we've honored God, the Creator. You know, look at our founding documents. You know, though the world is trying desperately to erase God, many in our nation are trying to erase God from our history. We see God everywhere in our founding documents. Uh, the builders of our nation deliberately employed the principles of the Bible in broad measure. One man said this, quote, The new nation rooted itself deeply in the divine ideals of the book. The resulting influence of the Bible in every aspect of American life should surprise no one. Indeed, the surprise, the alarming marvel is we are so soon removed from the call of the Bible's past effect on our country. Yet now we stand in the dawn of the 21st century searching for answers to our nation's inexhaustible problems, ignorant of the work of some who have troubled us and would prefer the history of the greatest book ever written on the greatest country ever known. Unquote. You know, the Declaration itself asserted separate and equal station among the powers of the earth. And that such was rooted in the laws of nature and nature's God. They declared themselves created equal. Again, they appealed to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. See, these were things that were understood and believed by those 
But the question is, to us this morning, will the Bible continue to influence America? You know, nine out of ten Americans' households own a Bible. But how many actually read it? But you know, we need, we need more than reading of that book. We need exposition of it. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the Bible. And the Lord sent Philip to join his chariot. And he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I except some man should guide me? See, we need you more than just reading. We need hearing. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, the Baptists understood that there needed to be liberty to preach the gospel for not only the establishment of a free and independent nation, but also for the maintenance of a free and independent people. You know, we have a great nation. But if our nation is to continue as a great nation, we must continue to preach the gospel. You know, there's an interesting story in Luke chapter 7 about a centurion who had a servant who was sick. And this... The Jews sent to Jesus, begging him to come and heal the centurion's servant that was sick. But they said, he is worthy, for he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. You know, the synagogue was the meeting house where the word of God was read and expanded in Bible times. If you love your nation, if you love your nation, you're going to be involved in establishing meeting houses where the Word of God gets read and expanded. Because it will, it will exalt your nation. It will change the hearts of people. It will make the lawless lawful and the unrighteous righteous and give liberty, proclaim liberty throughout the land. You see, the greatest thing we can do for our nation is to be actively involved in spreading the gospel in church planting. It is imperative for the preservation of our liberty. Churches are closing at lightning speed. But we need to be active in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ that brought about the liberties that we have as a nation so that our liberties will continue and will continue to reach others around the world with the gospel.